Hey everybody and thank you for joining us on this week's V Brown Bag US version. Today we are going to be covering the Phoenix Project Takeaways for Beginners and DevOps with our uh, esteemed guest, Suiji. Uh, so before I kick it over there to him, uh, a couple of quick things to note. Uh, upcoming, we've got big event VMworld and with every VMworld, we know that uh, first comes up VM Underground Opening Acts. Uh, I, I know some information still being released about that, but it's always an exciting event. Definitely encourage everybody to uh, show up for that. There's also going to be the V Brown Bag Tech Talks during VMworld. Uh, the Google Doc is out there and available for people to to request spots and uh, try and get their try and get their sessions on there. That's always a fun time. Uh, if you want to get in on the conversation, we'll be following along at the at V Brown Bag Twitter account. And there's also the at V Brown Bag Latam and at V Brown Bag EMEA. And you can also feel free to use just the Twitter hashtag of hashtag V Brown Bag. Uh, some of the other ones that we have going on here recently, uh, APAC, which is going to be every Thursday, EMEA, which is Tuesdays, uh, Latam, which is Thursdays. And then, of course, you're here with us tonight on the U.S. version on Wednesdays. Uh, I'm your host tonight, Kyle Ruddy. You can find me on t Twitter at KM Ruddy. And then I will uh, turn it over to our, our guest tonight, Luigi. Uh, thank you, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to talk about this tonight. The Phoenix Project was one of, those, one of those books that I read, and it was just, you know, I couldn't put it down. I could relate to it so well. Okay. Can you see my screen now? Yep, you are good to go. So, welcome everyone. Yeah, the Phoenix Project. The way this book, the way I came about reading the book actually was because of uh, Jonathan Frappier and uh, Josh Atwell um, had recommended it before. And I was talking to Jonathan uh, probably a couple months ago, and we were, we were looking for a book that we can kind of have a book club for. And he had mentioned a book that's mentioned in the Phoenix Project as maybe a book that we can read together. So I first had to read the Phoenix Project. And while I was reading the Phoenix Project, oh, wait, i got to click back into my PowerPoint here. I started to think of DevOps. And one of the things that most people start to talk about and think of with DevOps is tools. Now, one of the things that I'm not going to talk about tonight is Ansible, Puppet, any automation tools, um, because I don't actually run a DevOps environment. I don't do DevOps for a living. However, I instituted a lot of the DevOps methodologies into my day-to-day -day job of doing social media for a Fortune big company, which I don't need to mention. You can find it on Twitter on my profile. It will tell you who I work for and so forth. But I really wanted to to think of a way to talk about the DevOps story and how it helped me and become a better organized person. And But really what the book talked about was four types of work. And I was actually struggling with identifying some of the work that I had coming in. And in the book they talk about the business work, the IT work, changes that happen to your infrastructure as well as 
we all have those CEOs, right, Kyle, or those high VPs in our organization that they call you up and they're like, we need this done, and you're the go-to person, right? And that's what they call in the book as unplanned work. Now, part of the book really focused on the constraints. Now, the Phoenix Project actually walks you through a great story of Bill who gets promoted as an IT manager. He's now in charge of the entire IT operations, and Eric is actually guiding him as a mentor. So for me, I would look at it as like Jonathan and Cody and the other V. Brownback folks as Eric in the story, right? They're my mentors. And one of the biggest things they, 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 they stress in this book is the constraints. And I was like, really, what are the constraints? And in the book, the constraint is Brett. Brett is their super guru, so think of him as the Yoda for, I had to throw a Star Wars reference in there for frap. Uh, Brett is the Yoda of the company's uh, IT department. <coughs> However, he was also the number one constraint in the IT department for them. But when I, when I reflect on, when I was reading the story, I started to think of my own constraints and say, well, I'm not Brett per se, however, I'm trying to incorporate some of these methodologies into my thinking. So I had to stop and think long and hard, and it didn't take me that long to actually do it. I was like, well, where am I constrained at? And one of the first things that I did was I have a whiteboard behind my desk, which I wrote out all the tasks in which I was currently working on. And when I did that, I realized that there was about 15 or more concurrent tasks that I was working on. And I really wasn't given one task my full effort. And for anyone that knows, that's trouble, right? However, it took me reading this book to realize, like, hey, wait a second. What am I doing to myself, right? I'm forming my own constraint and making myself a bottleneck. So as I continued to read the book, I realized that DevOps and, from, from my perspective, social media, it all starts with culture, right? It starts with that mindset of a group, like the V Brown Bag here, of gathering together and, and buying on board this mindset or this mantra of, we're going to do this, we're going to take the world on, right? And I think back to my Army days. And that's basically what the Army, they did to you, right? They broke you down as an individual, and they taught you to be a team player. Well, DevOps is the same thing, right? You go back to my first slide where I mentioned tools, and then I put a big X. Before you can even start talking about any tools, you need to understand the culture and the mindset behind DevOps, because it's a wide range. It's not just the automation of your infrastructure. It's not the processes. It's the whole package together. And that whole package is formed by the culture, right? That's what we do. But where does it all start, right? And that's, that's one of the things that I really had to think about from my perspective. And I noticed I wasn't a great communicator. As I was reading the book, I could relate to many of the characters in the story. I could relate to the stories in the story. I was like, oh man, there's times I was literally laughing in my bed, and my wife was like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, well, I can so relate to this. 
and it, it kind of reminded me this past week when I was out at the KCV mug, and we were talking to someone about the Big Bang Theory. I think it was Mike Foley and, and Jason. We were talking about the Big Bang Theory, and it's so relatable, right? And that's where I was – I think that's the biggest thing that makes the Phoenix Project uh, popular is it's relatable to all of us. It's related to you know Kyle who works in IT. It's related to me in social media, and I was just like, wow! I now see why this is popular. So one of the changes that I implemented at work was I started to communicate a little differently. Now, what I did was every month and every quarter I send out a social metrics report. Uh, since October, I would just send out a PowerPoint slide, and people would just look at numbers. But as you can see on the screen here, to the right of the screen, you see a PowerPoint presentation, right? It's just the, the landing page slide, and then you see a video of me. Now, I send this to about 50 to 60 people every month, a video of me talking and actually presenting the PowerPoint slides. Now what this does is that actually allows me to explain better as to the insights behind the, the metrics. <clears throat> but honestly, if I wasn't reading the or had I not read the Phoenix Project, I probably wouldn't have thought to do something differently. I probably would have continued to, to do it the same way. And by reading the Phoenix Project and seeing how Bill and Patty and Wes, who are three of the primary characters in the book or you know the go-to characters they started to communicate better with each other and they also started to talk and and find out um, the different pain points but that was based off of communication so I was like you know what communication is the number one thing but also in the book it goes back to my culture slide here that people bought into it and I'm hoping most of you have read the book, or if you haven't read the book, you read it and you get. we can actually discuss this culture aspect of it and the buy-in. Um, but what happened was they bought into it and the different methods that they chose. So I started this, and I use a file sharing app, and I share out the PowerPoint slides for those that just want the PowerPoint or the video. Now, the videos get about, probably about 120 viewers a month is what I get to actually people view my video. For me, that's a win. But one of the other things I started to communicate better about was what we're working on and why we're doing what we're doing. So when you're looking at it from an IT operations standpoint or you know, you're just starting in DevOps, you need to understand that you need to communicate what you're doing. If people don't see what you're doing, they sometimes just want to keep overloading you. So for me, in one of my presentations, I actually I breezed through the metrics. I went right through the metrics and I shot to this slide right here and I basically outlined the strategy for our blog and what I envisioned it for. And what I was trying to do there was communicate to the team that, hey, this is what I envision. I need your buy-in, right? I need you guys to, to own into this culture of what I'm looking at for it. And here, these are actual emails that I received um, providing me feedback. The first two, the one to the very far right from Lewis, you know, this is back in early February. And he's like, great video, really enjoyed it, right? And then Becky, again, in February, you know, love the fresh new idea, 
Now, if you look at the first one, I, I purposely missed my – this is my boss, Joe. Um, I purposely did not say his first because if you notice, the other two are Q1 reports. And now if I, I'm going to read – I don't usually tend to read my slides anymore, but I'm going to read Joe's. He goes, I have to tell you I was a little skeptical about this, but I really like your quarterly summary now that I've really spent time digesting this one. So it took my boss, right, the person who's responsible for my, my yearly review and, and ultimately my job, it took him two quarters to be like, hey, you know what? This is actually kind of nice. And now he has bought into that culture and that new change of communication in which I do. Where it, in like any organization, you're going to have people that are skeptical, right? But if you can change their minds and, and believe in what you're trying to do is good, you're going to go a long way. But really, my biggest challenge and, and the biggest eye-opener that I had while reading the Phoenix Project is I was over-organized. Now, how, how many people have ever been over-organized? I mean, to the point of where you're trying to organize so much that you're actually becoming inefficient. That's me, right? I was doing that. I have folders upon folders upon folders upon folders. And one of the things that made me realize that was in the Phoenix Project, when they start outlining all the projects and the tasks that they had, like I did with my whiteboard, I was like, wow. I wasn't only doing it with my tasks. I was doing it with how I organized my tasks. <clears throat> now, the book stresses a lot um, the Kanban method of organization of tasks and such. And now, I tried Kanban many years ago. My personal ADD personality doesn't go for it. However, the book really touches on, you know, Organizing your task is a priority, right? If you don't really know what task you're working on or what needs to be done, you're going to be up Shit's Creek without a paddle. And um, I relate to it as having a good organizational plan, not organizational, organizing plan, is like a small business writing a business plan. Now, I think it's over 50% of small businesses fail within the first five years that have not taken the time to organize and write up a business plan. The same thing will happen to you in your DevOps. If you're just starting out and you're, you're looking to do it, if you don't take the time to say, this is how we're going to structure and organize the process flow. This is how we're going to organize the work that's coming in, the changes, and we go back to that slide where I was talking about the forward. If we don't have that defined and, and take that time and then get the culture buy-in on that method, you're going to fail. Uh, I've had to clean up my presentation as far as what I would say before. And I used to say, you know, crap on the wall. Now I say spaghetti against the wall. And that's where I was at from a social perspective because I was over-organized. But... I wanted to show you real quick for those that wanted to understand maybe Kanban. It, it does work for people. And Kanban is simple. You typically have three rows, right? You have a working on, a to-do, and a done column. So what happens is you'll put one task 
that you're working on. And that's it. You focus on one task at a time. And then the next task move up in the line. Once you're finished with that task, you then move it to done. And from there, you would then choose any one of those next tasks to be done. Now, here's a funny story. I was working on this presentation today on the flight home from Kansas City. And I was sitting there next to a engineering uh, baseball coach. He's a teacher. They were actually, he was headed with his students to Nashville for a life science um, event that his students were participating in. And I was quite impressed with what these kids want to be for a living and, and the fact that they're doing this. But when we're talking, he looks over and he goes, oh, is that the presentation you're working on? And I said, yes. And I sat there and explained to him what I was trying to convey to you all. And he's like taking notes. Now, Shane is his name. He was actually taking notes as I'm creating my presentation because I was talking to him as I was working on it. And I talked to him about the Kanban method. And he's like, what's Kanban? Now, this is a, a, a teacher at a high school. You know, he's an engineering teacher, so he's highly educated. And he wasn't aware of the Kanban method. And I was like, oh, wow. And then he asked me, have you ever thought to talk to education people about this organizational way? And a couple slides down, I'm going to show what I actually use because I don't use the Kanban method. Um, I use something else. And he actually says, I'm going to actually might implement some of what we just talked about into his routine because he's also a baseball coach and he has to implement you know a training program and so forth and now I've just enlightened him to a way that can make him organize it better but for me I meant to try and grab a screenshot many months ago when I started on my uh, cleanup or my unorganization uh, and and I've actually brought it back to the kiss way is this is my Asana dashboard. This is my live Asana dashboard. Before, under my projects, and for those of you that do not know, Asana, I have no affiliation to other than I'm a user of them, um, and they have a free version that you can use up to so many people and so many projects, and I've been using them for a number of years on and off, but I never stayed with it, right? I didn't have that culture mindset of going in every day and doing it. Now I do. When I open up a meeting, I go through... Um, the first thing I do is open up Asana. I pull up a meeting and I share my screen. So this way, if you're on the other end of the meeting, you can see my schedule. Again, that goes back to my open communication. The more I communicate with people of what I'm doing, the less constraint I have on myself. And that was my total goal is to kind of keep myself free-flowing. But the way I have it structured here now is I have four projects. And in each of these projects, I have various tasks. But what I was doing prior to this simple setup, you notice how I simplified it to four projects, I had like 10 projects. I, I would have a project for Kyle. I would have a project for Cody. I would have a project for events, education, operations, this, that, you name it. I probably had a task or a project for it and then multiple tasks underneath it. And that's when I said I over-organized myself. So I was explaining this whole story to Shane on the plane, and I didn't have Wi-Fi on this flight, and I wasn't going to pay for it because we were literally just about to land when I got to the Asana plot. And I said, but I simplified it. So now I have four projects. And then what I do is I go through the projects, 
and it allows me to see it easier. And this is really what he was interested in, and is the, the project management aspect. Because within Asana, I have the ability to do tasks and subtasks and so forth. But what it does for me, being a very visual person, is it allows me to look at my schedule quickly and say, oh, wow, I have a lot of stuff. But I also told Shane that you can do this in Outlook by using a calendar and task. You don't need to use a special program. I said you can use it in Excel, but it all comes back to that culture. Right? And this is why I wanted to stress the culture aspect. Last week I was out having a conversation with Phil Bradham. Uh, he was going away dinner with my, uh, myself and Sean Tuline. I always pronounce Sean's last name wrong, so hopefully I got it right, Sean. Um, and, and Phil actually picked me up at my house and we drove together. And I was talking to him about this presentation. And I was like, you know, I'm not really a DevOps person. I like the methodologies of DevOps. And that's when Phil really hit home with me that it is about the culture and the mindset. It's not about the tools. And I was like, yes, I just want to hug you right now because you get what I was saying. Because I kind of gave Phil my two-minute pitch on the whole concept of this presentation. And he's like, yes, you, you are right. It's more about the mindset behind it. And you see that in the story of the Phoenix Project. As people go through, as they progress further into the book, and when Patty starts introducing the Kanban method to Bill, you're like, whoa. Kind of like Bill had his whoa moment. I had my aha moments throughout this entire book. Shane had his aha moment today sitting next to me on a plane. And I gave him my business card. And I said, listen, you got any questions, I'll, I'll feel free to jump on a call with you, anything to help you understand it better. But he wants to change that culture. And... My other struggle with it was, in, in the communication part, is what I call business day objective. Most people will probably call it due date, but I told Shane, I said, listen, I'm a former military guy. I like acronyms. He's like, hey, you haven't seen nothing yet with acronyms because we're teachers. We have so many acronyms in the educational field. I said, let's not start talking about them right now. <laughs> and he just laughed at me. But for me, the BDO is very, very important. And what used to happen, and I'm showing this slide here, is this is what I do now. I take my BDO date and I actually work backwards. What I used to do prior to reading the Phoenix Project was I would just say, I need to work on these tasks, and I would just tirelessly try working on those tasks. But then when I actually stopped to look at what the business needed, Right? And I was like, what's the business need? Not what I need to get done. It's not about me. It's about the business. So what happens if I take the business date objective, the day the business needs something done, and I work backwards, away from my norm. So I'm already going in the opposite direction in the way I was working. And I start saying, if I have a business date objective of July 7th, what do I need to do prior to that? And then I would mark on the calendar. I would need a blog post on the 30th ready to go or the draft for it. I would need tweets loaded for this. And if you're looking at it from a DevOps perspective, if you, especially from an infrastructure perspective, you need to know if they're launching a new application like in the Phoenix Project, what is that BDO that you need to hit? 
Well, what constraints are you going to come into? You know, how can you mitigate that unplanned work? Right? Because that's the killer. I, I've seen it happen many a times. I think I'm probably one of the few people that actually tell no to people when they, they request stuff. They're like, can you do this? And I'll be like, no. Uh, no is your friend at times. <coughs> but really, that's all I have. That Those were some of the, the enlightening parts that I've had with the beginnings of reading uh, the Phoenix Project. So I don't know if anyone has any questions, comments. So yeah, I'm monitoring to, to see if any questions come in. But the biggest thing for me, the, the biggest question that I had was, how long did you give Kanban a shot before you just realized it wasn't for you? So I gave it probably not as much time as I needed to. Um, I do have, I am officially diagnosed with ADD. Um, but for me, it wasn't a method that I liked because I'm a little more visual and I would forget to move something over. I would start working on something else. I wouldn't take that time, but I don't think, I think probably my biggest challenge with that is I didn't have buy-in on the system myself. And that goes back to my, that goes back to my culture slide. It all starts with culture, and, and culture is it's, it's a very big thing. I didn't have that mindset to be like, I need to do this. Whereas now, I every day, I open up Asana. It's the first thing I do when I sit at my computer uh, is I open up Asana, and I see what I need to do. If Kyle, if you and I were to have a meeting, I pull up Asana. I screen share Asana. I'm now in that mindset of implementing what I should have been doing, right? Have you tried using Kanban? Yeah. Can so personally, can Kanban. I, I always pronounce it wrong. Probably. I I, I think it's Kanban. I I don't know if anybody is uh, is listening and wants to correct either one of us. Feel free. Yeah. Uh, I personally, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, however, the the one place that I really had issues with was you know the rep uh, the the tasks that were repetitive. You know, basically where you're you know, okay, so it's, okay, we're done now, but I'm going to have to do that next week. So I have to take something that I just finished and put it back in, on the to-do side. Yep. No, so, yeah, that see, that, that happens. And I think that might even be probably one of the big reasons I didn't like Kanban is because I wasn't seeing progress at times. And I know Matt Brender was a big influence on trying to give me personal organization tips to help keep me focused on, on point on things. And we tried using the Kanban with post-it notes. And then you would get a stack of the post-it notes that you would do and you'd say, hey, you know what, I feel accomplished. And for me, I think that's why I like Asana is because I have that calendar view and I'm focused on the BDO, right? And getting my deliverables done by a set date because I actually work better backwards than I do forwards and I don't know if the Kanban system would necessarily work for my use case in, in that instance because of how I how I work and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is you have to commit to one not one system but you have to commit to one thing and, and actually give it a shot where like I said earlier I didn't really give Kanban a, a shot and I'm trying to really make it a stride with using 
Asana as my primary project tool. Um, but there's others out there. It's just that method of using Asana that I, I do now and make it that my day-to-day -day routine because it starts with the culture. right? If I don't have that mindset, like a small business, if I don't have the mindset to sit down and write out a business plan, and some business plans, writing it out is tedious. If I don't have that mindset to stay committed to it, it's going to fall apart. You can ask yourself, how many people start an exercise routine? Huh. And then they fail. It's that same It's that same thing. Once you get past that mental aspect of it and you get the buy-in, not just from other people but from yourself. Now, fortunate for me, I got bought in and I, I got people providing feedback, positive feedback that they actually believe in the system. So by them seeing and saying, hey, we like this, that made the buy-in easier for myself to continue it. Right, because many times we're often, if we fail or get bad, if we get bad feedback, we'll often stop doing that versus trying to improve on it. So for me to see that by communicating better with the team, they like it, but it also helps me to be more efficient. And that's what I go. And and honestly, I think if I did not read the Phoenix Project, I'd probably still be throwing spaghetti at the wall. <laughs> I'd, I'd be slowly trying to figure out and trying all these different things, but now that I have my basis for what I do, and it was influenced from the DevOps book with the Phoenix Project, right? It's not about DevOps for what I use it for, but I take that methodology into my day-to-day -day from a work perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we do have one question that came in from Tim Smith, who asked, "How would you? How would Kanban, who Tim also uh, suggested a a pronunciation, uh, yep. Khan and then Bon, kind of the same way, B H A N? Uh, yep. So how would Kanban work with multiple projects running at the same time? Uh, for so, instance, I'm working on one exchange migration and two data center upgrades, all of which will cover multiple weeks." So I'm going to just go to my Kanban slide here real quick, just so you can see. What you would do is each project, you would create a Kanban system for it. So for your, you said exchange server migration? Yep, correct. So your exchange migration, you would set up a Kanban for the exchange migration. You would then list out all your tasks for the exchange migration. And then you would put the one task that you're working on that. And they actually talk about that in the book around page 231. It's, I know it's in the 230s where Patty actually talks about Kanban more in detail and how she started to implement it. And what she did was she was already starting to utilize Kanban for the different projects. She didn't just have one major Kanban, right? Because then you're going to get convoluted. That actually happened with me in, in a sense where I was trying to use Excel for my uh, one-stop shop for monitoring the stuff that I do. Well, I had so overwhelmed with the information on an Excel calendar that I was like, oh my God. So I opened up another calendar, Excel, and then I created a separate one just for the blogs. And I was just like, yeah, now I'm already doing too much work, right? But if you want to commit to the Kanban system, then you would go through and you would create one for each project in which you're doing. And then that way you can easily see what you're working on. 
and a Kanban board doesn't have to be stickies. It can be a whiteboard, right? There's the app Trello. Um, I, I was actually just talking to Kanji out here at the Boston VMUG Friday. I think he uses an app called My Kanban. So there's there's a multitude of apps that you can utilize that system. I know I I had tried Trello for a little bit, and Trello is a Kanban system. So you can create different boards for the different projects. I hope hopefully that answers your question, Tim. Yep, he he said thanks. Uh, so we also have Rob Nelson, who I'm actually going to unmute because I, yep. I know Rob is extremely knowledgeable in this area. So yep, I'm, Rob, super awesome gentleman. I don't have a lab on this, Rob. No, well, they're just raising the bar for me. Um, I don't know if I'm super, super uh, awesome knowledge here, but uh, one of the things I do, as you mentioned, having the three swim lanes there, expanding some of that. Uh, a couple swim lanes that help for me and, and the people I work with is, is a swim lane that says needs review or decision. You yep. know, sometimes you're doing work and then you have to hand it off. You, you have to let it sit for, say, code review or somebody has to make the decision on when you're going to put it in maintenance. But it's not really working on. It's not really done. And then also I have a swim lane for blocked. If it's got to wait on somebody else, I still want to track it so I know what work lies in the future but uh, not directly in my future. So I don't want to put it in the to-do list until it's unblocked from whoever else has to do their work first. Yep. No, Rob, you, you touched on actually a great point, and they actually touched on that in the book. I didn't bring it up in my presentation, and now that you mention it, they actually started, before Patty implemented the Kanban system for, or Kanban system, they actually started in a conference room on a whiteboard with index cards, what they call the change management system, and they kind of did that, right? They, they had that section of, well, this can get done before that. And if you read, it's, I'm pretty certain it's between 2.30 and maybe it's like 2.25 to 2.32. Uh, Patty talks about how they list out the projects and then they realize that there's um, the relational aspect, kind of like what you were just talking about, Rob, is this needs to be on hold until this other thing gets done or someone else signs off on it. But that on hold part can actually be determined as a constraint because say Rob is the one that needs to review all this stuff. Well, now you just constrained Rob, right? And you can see that in the system. So I, I do like how you can add multiple lanes. And in this example on the, on the Kanban, I was just keeping it simple. And Rob is completely accurate in having multiple lanes. Yeah, and, and one thing that's that can also be helpful, if you can get other people to subscribe to this, a personal Kanban board is excellent. It's a great place to start. Even if you don't use it for work, do it for, like, say, projects around the house, things that need repaired. But yep. if you can get other people at work to do it, what you can do is you can make your working on or work in progress column for each person so that way uh, people share it so you can see what somebody else is working on. Yeah. No, so I'll say this, and hopefully Amy doesn't kill me for saying this, but... Amy Lewis, uh, I learned at Matt Brenders Wendon when we were hanging out with her, she has a personal Kanban system for vacation. You know, her and her kids, she actually has her kids utilizing the Kanban system. So she's starting them early on, which is which is absolutely great on that better communication of seeing it. And I'm not trying to tell my wife because I think my wife might try to institute something like that as well. Um, because my wife likes to task me with projects, and she could see how easily she keeps busting my chops, Rob, about the the basement. I have like a couple little minor things left in my basement, and if I had a Kanban system for it, she she'd definitely be pointing to me every day. 
But I might have to do that now that you mention it. Make one for my personal life. And then I could give the Kanban system a true go. Because then I'll have yeah. a commitment to it. Yeah, it's a great way to trial it and, and helps keep me honest because, you know, there's always stuff that something breaks in the house, but it's the room you don't go in, so you don't think about it until you go in there and turn the light switch on at 9 o'clock and there's no light. Yeah. Things uh, like that I, are great I agree. Beach Kanban. Love it. Beach Kanban? Preach Kanban. Oh, Keep preaching. Preach. So the, the one thing that I had told uh, Steve Adonis on Friday, I said, you know, I said, I had this perfect presentation that I was thinking of is this one that actually complements uh, Frappier's personal Kanban uh, presentation. You know, it's a perfect dynamic one, too, because I end with the organizational aspect of it, and that's something that he could just dive deeper and say, oh, well, Luigi just talked about this. Now, here, because I believe Frapp actually uses uh, Kanban for his personal and business life to stay organized. If not, we're going to make him do it. <laughs> but seeing how he just did a presentation, I would say he, he does it. And Yeah, he was actually the one who introduced me to Trello. So yeah. That, that, was a, that was a big kind of light bulb moment for me of, you know, just trying to organize yeah, along the same lines of you guys, where it wasn't just organizing my professional life, but it was also doing my, you know, community involvements. It was doing some of my personal life stuff. Uh, I mean, that's that's a great use for like, hey, you know, light switch in the basement is broken. Yeah, I should probably put that on there because otherwise, I'm just gonna forget. Yeah, but so even hearing Rob's comments and your comments, it made me think of actually why I made this one slide where it says changing culture starts with communication. And culture is the, you know, the little bit of habits that we instill in ourselves and then ultimately other people will pick up on, right? And for me, everyone, you know, that I'm known for winning a bunch of stuff at conferences and, you know, with the Nerd Blurt Mojo, but all that is is positive, right? I try to think positive and I try to instill that positivity on other people. And people say I have so much passion for things. Well, yes, that's because that's what I believe in, right? That's my culture is to believe in things, and if I believe in it, I go for it. And I know that with my wife, your wife, your bosses, the more we can communicate on some things, I say some things because there's certain things we don't want our bosses to know, right, that it's nice. It, it shows progress, and it, it does allow for easier adoption to a new system. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tim, I know you've been reading the the Phoenix Project. I, I wouldn't mind hearing some of your insights one day. I'm not certain if Tim has a mic or not. Yeah, and we were actually talking back and forth on oh, Twitter Tim. about the Phoenix Project. Tim has a mic, so let me unmute him. One second. Yep, appreciate it. Yeah, I almost feel like I have to go back and uh, reread it now. I feel like it's one of those books that you've got to soak in the first time and then really dive into the the, the details. Um, you know, working yeah. as a, a consultant, it really made me think about the way that I handle projects and 
really just interface with customers instead of the normal, you know, like, what are your needs and how can I meet them? Now yep. it's more of a, you know, what are your business needs? What's what's beyond IT? You know, and, and almost preaching this methodology of, you know, you're not just an IT department to your company. You're a core business yeah. entity. And... Uh, but I'm just getting started with that, so we'll see how it goes. No, I would say you're spot on, though. I mean, for me, it was creating the VDO, right? I know it's just a due date, right? A, you know, a GA available. You know, everyone has a term that they call it. I call it the BDO because I'm a military guy, right? I'm easy. I can remember BDO. And but even you can even say the business objective, right? What is the business that you're trying to help as a consultant? And then, like you're saying, is you can turn these methodologies in. Now, just think if you show a, a, a customer all this great communication or you have all this documentation and this system in place, then they start buying into your system and they're going to be like, wow, we really want to keep hiring Tim because he's he, he understands us and he's shown it to us in a way that we can't. So then you're slowly creeping your culture, right, your methodologies into your clients. And then that way, it actually makes a better working relationship. Instead of going in there and saying, "Yeah, I got one solution for you, or two solutions, or this will, yeah, this will work for you," you're actually changing your own culture, but also the business's cultures that you're helping. So I like it. I think it's a good way to start. And once you find your own rhythm, and and, this, and you take out what works for you and what doesn't work for you, and you really say this works. I get great feedback from the customers, and they're they're utilizing this, and so forth. I know for me, I didn't show it in the presentation, but one of the things that I'm instituting is actually a so I call it a social media request form, um, an SMR. Uh, if you want any social media services, you're going to fill out a form, and it's going to have all these questions. So that way, when we go to a meeting, I already know the BDO, and then I can already tell you some deliverable date off of that. Whereas you know, now it makes my meetings more productive because I can focus on the content of it. And from an infrastructure standpoint, you could be like, well, I need to know that I have to have this backed up or that backed up or this you know, this configured this way. And we all know firewall changes take forever to happen in organizations, right? So the further out you can plan for something like that and, and have awareness is great. But yeah, I keep the Phoenix project on my desk, and I'm having notes in my notes in my phone. I have certain pages that I like the stuff that's on there. Uh, cool. If I ever get a chance to meet Gene Kim and them, I'm gonna give them a big hug. <laughs> <laughs> no, because honestly, for me, it was very eye-opening, and you know, sometimes it just takes a little those little moments, right? That little conversation with frap about a book club and trying to read the same book so we can actually discuss it afterwards you know that to me was the value behind reading the book I didn't know going into it that I was going to get so much more out of it and it literally changed a lot of the thought process and if I could have recorded my mid-year review with my boss I mean it was he was very happy and I go back to that email that I sent him and that he sent me where he was like you know this actually isn't that bad, and you know, so to see that stuff and, and those changes based off of a book, and because of the way I started to change my mind into that, you know, 
granted the book is geared more for DevOps in, in a sense, but to change and, and adapt the DevOps methodologies or pieces of it into my day-to-day -day and make my professional life easier, I recommend the book to everyone. I told the gentleman Shane on the plane he needs to pick up that book and read it. And he he was he was in his phone writing notes down. It was insane. But I I felt great. I was just like, wow! I just touched some gentleman's life in some little bit of way. That now he's going to start changing his own culture and adopt a system to better organize. And he's a teacher. Like I mean, an engineering teacher. When you're doing AutoCAD and CAD, I think they use Rabbit or something like that. Um, if you're using, if you're an engineer teacher and you're building structures, to me you're highly educated and you're really good with math and numbers and stuff. But that simple thing of understanding project management, and for him to say to me, "Have you ever talked to educators about this system?" I was just like, "No," but there you go. I want to be a better presenter, so I could actually maybe even look at some local education conferences and say, "Hey, I just want to present because I want to get better at presenting." But here's a methodology or a thought process that you might be able to utilize and may not have been thinking about to help you with your course curriculum planning and so forth. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that translates so well into pr pretty much every avenue where, yeah. I mean, if you can just, you know, kind of ignore some of the IT parts, you know, it, it's all about the core values of, of just trying to get stuff done in a more organized fashion. Yep, I agree. So, and, you know, on, on the same level of, of you talking to, to Shane on the plane, at uh, the Indie VMUG, we tried to, to do like a, a kind of a, not really a book club per se, but kind of a, hey, you know, we're going to bring this book. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to take it, you know, read it. Next time you bring it back in, you know, bring a second book. You know, let's, uh, let's continue the information going forward. And, you know, kind of based off of that, uh, so that's one of the things that we're working on right now, just to see what other kind of informational or, uh, you know, that kind of book will come in and, and help other people that maybe we haven't heard about. I know some of the people, uh, particularly Jake Robinson and Scott Lowe, had an interesting conversation going on a couple weeks ago, and I believe the book was called Quiet. And uh, that's probably going to be the next book that I read. And it's not going to be anything that's related to IT, but it's more of a how you deal with people. You know, yeah. as a as an introvert, so. No, I, I would. I actually now I might have to read that book with you now because it sounds interesting, and I, I think I think one of the things though is that as we read stuff, just like music, right? We listen to a song and we get motivated to dance or to move, or we get pumped up to lift, you know, 150 pounds or to exercise, run for three miles because our adrenaline's going. I think books have that same impact on us. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to read every single Hardy Boys book. I mean, every every Hardy Boys book. And then my grandmother influenced me with Sue Grafton and her mystery novels with uh, Kenzie Mahone and the detective series stuff. You know, so th those are the books I grew up reading. I didn't read technical books, right? And I think that's one of the things that I really like about the Phoenix Project is that it's very easy to read. I know someone, I think, they said they read it in five hours. I take a little more time because I really dig into it, but... It probably took me a few weeks to read through the whole book, and I still go through every so often, and I, I just flip through those pages, but it's a very easy read to read. It's not like a book that you, you start to read, and you're just like, ugh. Like I started to read another book, I think it was called 18 Minutes or something, and my attention span was lost because it wasn't as easy to read or didn't catch my attention 
like the Phoenix Project. I didn't have those aha moments reading that book that I do with the Phoenix Project. And I think that's why I really like it is because it makes me think so much. Yeah, and I, I'm the exact same way. You know, if I if I have a hard time relating to the book, it it makes it that much harder to read. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's definitely it's definitely there. I, I like that. And if I'm out at the Indie Mug, I may have to leave a book. Yes, yeah, certainly. It's coming up here in a couple of weeks. I know. I if you saw my calendar, it's actually on my calendar. Very good to hear. Do we have any other questions? Anyone else want to chime in? Uh, I'm open. To, I love open discussions. So, in, in providing my thoughts and your thoughts, and it's the only way we grow, right? Is with communication. Yeah, this is Tim again. I'd say the uh, one of the things I liked about the book, and I always have trouble remembering the names, but the guy who was on the board that was the consultant. Eric. Yes, I really enjoyed his character. How I felt like I was discovering the process along mm -hmm. with everybody else with the introduction of that character so it wasn't just oh this is what I found out like I felt yeah. like I was trying to figure out as I'm reading you know well what is that next style of the method of work you know what are we yeah. missing here and it it kept me captivated so much so that I started reading during a layover for an overnight flight to London and I ended up staying up <laughs> a lot later than I wanted to on the plane yeah. just to finish this book. Yeah, you're the one. You're the you're the person I'm thinking of then. Yeah. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter. But I would agree. The way that they created and introduced and, and played his character throughout was nice. And the thing that I really liked the most, though, about his character was he wasn't necessarily focused on the IT aspect. He was focused on the process aspect of it. And he opened their minds to think about, look at how they're doing it from a manufacturer. And I think Bill said, well, how do, what does manufacturing have to do with IT? Well, it's not IT in general. It goes back to that methodologies behind it and the processes. And then later in the book, when Patty starts talking about how she went to her friend in MRP8, I think that's the name of the building, um, and she started talking to the supervisor that she knows there, and that's when they really started introducing the Kanban system, right? And, you know, they spent a weekend working on it to get it all going. It, it, it's that. How they introduced the characters, I, I felt was great, especially Eric's role. All right. I, I think that's all we've got for tonight. So I want to thank uh, Luigi for for presenting. also like to thank Rob and Tim for, for jumping on and, you know, Helping out with the impromptu discussion. It's fantastic. Uh, so uh, thank you guys again. Everybody have a good night. Thank you, team. Thank you, guys.